Welcome to another episode of Biology Lessons on Air. My name is Veronica Athanasiou, and this episode is based on the Edexcel International GCSE 91 Biology, the book by Phil Bradfield and Steve Potter. We are going to continue chapter four, Food and Digestion. Now, after we have explained about food groups in our previous episode, we are going to focus on what happens to the food once we ingest it. That means once we place it at the top of the alimentary canal inside the mouth. The chemicals in food that we said we have to include in our balanced diet are not in the same form as we need it in our body. For instance, we consume proteins and we know that proteins are important in the formation, for instance, of muscles. But before the protein can be converted into muscle, the food must be digested. That means it must be broken down both mechanically and chemically so that it can be absorbed into our blood and it can reach the muscle tissues where new muscle cells will be made. So the protein has to pass from a, for example, a protein con contained in a pea or a lentil or in a piece of chicken, and it has to be broken down to amino acids, which are soluble. They can pass into the blood and then they can reach eventually the muscle cells. In the muscle cells, they will be converted then to proteins that will make the muscle fibers. So this is the process that we are going to be focusing on. The first thing you have to do is to be able to define what digestion is. You have a very good definition on page 62 in your book that states, digestion is the chemical and mechanical breakdown of food. It converts large insoluble molecules into small soluble molecules, which can be absorbed into the blood. In human beings, digestion takes place along the human alimentary canal. So you've probably studied in your lower science classes, um, the gut or alimentary canal that starts in your mouth, follows down the esophagus, gets into the stomach. It's like a tube that gets wider or narrower and changes shape as the food moves along. From the stomach, the food goes into the small intestine and in the duodenum, which is the first part of the small intestine, the contents of the liver and the pancreas that are not part of the alimentary canal, but they are attached to it. So they form part of the digestive system. They are glands and they produce certain important digestive juices that we are going to be talking about in a minute. Then the food uh, remains in the ileum, which is the longest part of the small intestine for digestion to be completed and digested food to be absorbed into the blood. Any undigested food then moves on into the first part of the large intestine, which is the ascendant colon. The colon is divided into three parts, the ascendant, the transverse, and the descendant. And it is there where the feces are formed 
basically undigested food, which is mainly fiber and water passed on from the ileum goes into the colon. The feces are formed, the water is absorbed. The feces are stored in the rectum until the sphincter muscles in the anus relax and undigested food is egested. So this is a very quick overview of what we will be studying in more detail. Let's look at a few important points about digestion. We said it's the chemical and mechanical breakdown of food. Chemical breakdown of food means that we need enzymes. The enzymes are going to be produced in different parts as we move along the alimentary canal. And we already studied that enzymes work best at particular pH values. So some of the digestive juices uh, function is to regulate the pH value that will be optimum, that means the best, for the particular enzyme to act. In different parts of the alimentary canal, different kinds of food are going to be broken down. For example, in the mouth, the substance that is added is saliva. Saliva is made in the salivary glands and it contains the enzyme amylase. Amylase breaks down amylose in starch to molecules of a disaccharide called maltose. So this chemical digestion starts in the mouth. But as you can imagine, once you put the food in the mouth, apart from saliva being produced, there is also chewing, which is mechanical breakdown of food using your teeth. So the teeth and the tongue will help form the bolus, the, the food bolus. It's nothing but a ball of food that is um, chewed and then we swallow it and it goes into the esophagus, which is really the beginning of the alimentary canal. Once we swallow the food, we don't think about what is happening to it any longer. We chewed, we swallowed, and then peristalsis takes over. Peristalsis happens along the gut. It's basically waves of muscle contraction along the alimentary canal. They push the food along. What do we mean by waves of muscle contraction? There are two sets of muscles that make up the walls of the alimentary canal, starting from the esophagus. We have circular muscles that are rings that are found along the gut. And then we have the longitudinal muscles that are along, they are parallel to the tube, to the alimentary canal. The ring muscles, the circular muscles contract. So imagine that you have a rubber band around a little rubber pipe what happens if you squeeze the pipe with a rubber band? That's what will happen when the circular muscle contracts. So it pushes the food under it. If you want to see it as um, in a vertical position, it will squeeze the food and it will push it downwards. 
okay but this will happen regardless of the position of the gut so even if you're lying down this process is taking place as the ring muscle or the circular muscle contracts the longitudinal muscle is relaxed so that the esophagus for example can be squeezed and the food can be pushed down so as it moves downwards then that circular muscle then will relax the longitudinal muscle will contract it will help push the food a little bit further along and then the next set of circular muscle will contract and while the longitudinal muscles relax so as you can see when the circular muscle contracts the longitudinal muscle relaxes and as the food moves along then different circular muscles will be contracting as the longitudinal relax and they will be moving these contractions will be moving as a wave along the alimentary canal as the food is pushed forward all of this process is called peristalsis p-e-r-i-s-t-a-l-s-i-s peristalsis and it is described on page 62 of your book now we're going to focus on digestion by enzymes so once you have chewed the food, you have swallowed it, it gets into the esophagus, you now know how it's going to be moving along the alimentary canal. And you remember that the food was mixed with saliva that contained the enzyme amylase in the mouth. So as it moves along the esophagus or gullet and it reaches the stomach, Digestion of starch to maltose continues. Once the food enters the stomach, the first thing you have to realize is that the stomach produces hydrochloric acid. So the pH in the stomach, it's very low. The value is around two. Remember that a neutral pH is, has a value of 7. Extreme alkaline conditions is pH 14. In extreme acidic condition, it's a pH of 1. So a pH of 2 is almost extreme acidic. On page 64 in your book, table 4.5 has a summary of all the enzymes and where they are found and what large molecule they digest into which smaller soluble ones so we've mentioned now a few times in the podcast that starch is broken down to maltose by amylase that is found in the saliva and now i'm going to introduce what happens in the stomach so in the stomach, the proteins are going to be broken down by a series of enzymes called proteases. But in the stomach in particular, there is going to be the production of pepsin. So pepsin is one um, particular protease. Notice that the name of the enzyme always finishes in A-S-E. So amylase, protease, 
lipase. When we say amylase, it breaks down amylose, which is a substrate, which is part of starch. So we're talking about a carbohydrate. It's breaking down its hydrolysis. So lysis is breaking down. Proteins are broken down by proteases, but there are different types of proteases. And one of them is pepsin, which is produced in the stomach. Now, the amylase from the saliva, once it enters the stomach, because the pH is 2, and amylase doesn't work at 2, amylase stops working, and pepsin starts working. Because pepsin is a protease, it digests proteins, so it's going to break the protein to smaller peptide chains. A sphincter muscle holds back the food in the stomach for several hours. Food then, as the sphincter muscle relaxes, passes into the duodenum, which is the first part of the small intestine. Now remember that the contents of the stomach are highly acidic. So as the food moves into the duodenum, there are digestive juices from the liver and the pancreas added to the food. The liver makes the bile, which is a digestive juice with no enzymes that has two functions. One, it neutralizes the uh, contents that are arriving from the stomach because it is alkaline and it emulsifies the lipids. On page 65 in your book, figure 4.17, you can see how uh, fats form an emulsion of tiny droplets when in, in the presence of the bile. This is called emulsification. And this is uh, mechanical digestion, is a breaking down of large particles into smaller particles they are still fats, they are still um, insoluble, but they are just broken down to tiny uh, droplets to increase the surface area for the enzymes to act on them. Pancreas makes amylase, trypsin, which is another protease, and lipase. It makes three enzymes. And the pancreatic juice is also alkaline. So it also helps to neutralize the very acidic uh, contents that are arriving from the stomach. So once in the duodenum, the partially digested food from the stomach then finds a neutral environment and new enzymes are added. So what happens to pepsin that was acting in the stomach? Well, since the pH changes, then the pepsin stops working. But a new protease called trypsin is made in the pancreas and it's uh, secreted into the duodenum. So on page 64, table 4.5, where it says proteases, you see the second example is trypsin. 
it breaks down proteins to peptides and it is made in the pancreas where it acts in the gut it acts in the small intestine remember it's not acting in the pancreas the pancreas makes the enzyme and then it goes through the duct the pancreatic duct and it goes into the small intestine more specifically the duodenum where it breaks down proteins to peptides so the action of pepsin and trypsin is similar but because they are specific they are going to be breaking down different kinds of proteins into different um, polypeptide chains The next section of the small intestine is called the ileum. It is the longest part, and there are two very important processes that take place there. Once the contents of the liver and the pancreas have been secreted into the duodenum, the food keeps moving along through peristalsis, and it reaches the ileum. In the ileum, there is going to be digestion of carbohydrates and digestion of proteins due to enzymes present in the walls of the ileum. So the digestion of lipids that started in the duodenum continues as the mixture of lipids and lipase uh, moves along. So the lipids will be breaking down to glycerol and fatty acids. And once uh, these soluble molecules are formed, they will be absorbed through the wall of the ileum into the blood. However, for carbohydrates and proteins, we will still have in the contents from the duodenum maltose and peptides so small polypeptide chains still have to be broken down to amino acids if you check table 4.5 you will see that another kind of protease is the peptidases there are several uh, kinds of peptidases they are found in the wall of the small intestine so as the small polypeptide chains are found in the contents of the small intestine they are broken down to amino acids by the peptidases and then they are also absorbed so maltase will act over the disaccharide maltose and will break it down into two simple glucose molecules that can then be absorbed through the wall of the ileum into the blood vessels that are found in the villi and we will be talking about these structures in a minute so once we have carbohydrates both broken down to simple sugars like glucose proteins broken down to soluble amino acids and lipids broken down to glycerol and fatty acids, they will be absorbed. We already said that the ileum is the longest part of the small intestine. So it is important that as the digested food moves along the ileum, 
it has enough time for all the digested food, the soluble molecules to be taken or absorbed into the blood. Now, the large surface area that is needed for this to happen is aided by the villi. What are the villi? Look at figure 4.18 on page 65 of your book. They are tiny projections from the lining of the ileum. The singular of villi is villus. Each villus is only about one to two millimeters long, but there are millions of them. So the total area of the lining is thought to be about 300 square meters. This provides a massive area in contact with the digested food. Apart from that, high-powered microscopy has revealed that the surface of cells of each villus have hundreds of minute projections called microvilli, which increase the surface area for absorption even more. Each villus contains a network or, of blood capillaries. Most of the digested food enters these blood vessels, but the products of fat digestion, as well as tiny fat droplets, enter a tube in the middle of the villus called a lacteal. The lacteals form part of the body's lymphatic system, which transports a liquid called the lymph. This lymph eventually drains into the blood system. Study figure 4.19 on page 66. What you see is one villus, Notice that the epithelium, that is the wall of the villus, is made of a single layer of cells. This minimizes the distance between the contents of the ileum and the blood capillaries where the digested food molecules are going to move into. Surrounding the blood capillaries, you see the lacteal, which is where the products of digestion, that is the fatty acids and the glycerol, are going to move into. So we have mentioned a few ways in which the villus is adapted for its function of absorption of digested food. One is the large surface that is aided by the villi. Two, the microvilli. 3. The network of blood capillaries, 4. The lacteal for digested fats, 5. A single layered epithelium, 6. Lots of mitochondria present in this epithelium of the villi. Mitochondria, remember, produce ATP and energy is needed for active transport of digested substances. Sometimes substances have to be transported against their concentration gradient, so ATP needs to fuel the process of active transport. There are also muscles that help move the, con the content along the ileum in order to maintain a concentration gradient. So once the digested molecules have been absorbed, the contents move 
along so that new uh, fresh contents will be in contact with the villi that I'll be going to be carrying a higher concentration of digested molecules. In this way, the other processes that depend on the concentration gradient, remember diffusion and facilitated diffusion then can take place as well through the wall of the epithelium. Let's talk now about two terms that have to do with the digestive system, assimilation and egestion. The digested food molecules are distributed around the body by the blood system. For example, the hepatic portal vein carries a digested food to the liver. In the liver, there is a lot of packaging of digested food. For example, glucose molecules are stored as glycogen. Remember that we studied that glycogen is the polysaccharide for storage in animal cells. So this is one of the things that happens in the liver. So some of the food that is absorbed um, in the ileum goes to the liver. The lymphatic system will be carrying then the fats and um, they eventually they will go to the blood and they will be distributed to different parts of the body. Some food molecules will be used to build new parts of cells. This is called assimilation. So when you have, for example, a fatty acid from olive oil that you ingested, that you ate in your diet with your salad, for instance, olive oil, was broken down to glycerol and fatty acids in the duodenum because of the action of bile and lipases from the pancreas. This moved along the ileum, it was absorbed through the lacteal and the lacteal then took it into the blood and the blood took it to, for example, new growing skin cells. The cell membrane of the skin cells contains phospholipids. When you study the cell membrane structure in detail in a more advanced biology level, you will learn that the cell membrane consists of phospholipid molecules. Phospholipids uh, consist of two fatty acids. So the same fatty acid that was digested from the olive oil that you ate can end up being part of a cell membrane of one of your skin cells. This is an example of assimilation. There is another term that is called egestion, that it's basically what happens to undigested food and how we get rid of it. Not to be confused with excretion, which ha has to do with the urinary system and has to do with toxic chemical waste. We're talking about egestion, which is getting rid of undigested food, which is mainly fiber that passes into the colon. The water is absorbed in the colon and the feces are formed. So we are talking here about poo-poo, number two, feces, droppings. Feces are stored in the rectum, which is another part of the large intestine. 
and then they are expelled through the anus. The anus is the opening of the digestive system, the alimentary canal, through which the feces passed, pass out of the body in a process called egestion. So do not use the word excretion when you are talking about uh, egestion, which is getting rid of the feces, or number two.